All right, kids can be dismissed to Children's Church up to grade four. As those kids go, want to say happy birthday to Hazen Bud. He has a birthday this week. Oh, there's Hazen. All right, Hazen, happy birthday this week, man. How old are you going to be, Hazen? Seven. Seven. Woohoo! Good age. Good. Enjoy that. All right. Also, want to make sure and say happy birthday to happy birthday, happy Mother's Day. I'm sorry. Uh, happy Mother's Day to the moms out there. Actually, there's one mom here who it's also their birthday. But I will not say who it is because they would prefer I not. So I'll just leave you guys to guess who it might be. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and dive into our word today. Today, we are going to transition from chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians to chapter 4. Now, the chapters, verses, and headings that we see in our modern translations were not present in the original text. They are not part of the inspired Word of God. The first English Bible to use both chapters and verses was the Geneva Bible, which was published in 1560. These divisions soon gained acceptance as a standard way to notate verses and have since been used in nearly all English Bible Bibles and the vast majority of Bibles printed in other languages. Now, verses and chapters are not wrong or bad, although they can be at times. Sometimes the flow of an argument that is being made in scripture is interrupted by the end of a chapter. But for the most part, they are a helpful tool. They make it easier for everyone to literally get on the same page. Whatever scholar chose to place the end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians where he did was pretty justified. Chapter 3 ends with this incredibly bold proclamation that we looked at last week. The final sentence of that chapter says, For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God. As we discussed last week, that is an extraordinary claim. Chapter 4 opens with a claim that appears much less extraordinary. It says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul is making a pretty big transition from one statement to the next. Such transitions are a good point to start a new chapter. However, one verse being at the end of chapter 3 and another at the beginning of chapter 4 tends to blind us to the fact that these two statements are made right next to each other. It is easy to get excited about all things belonging to Christians through Christ. Enthusiasm about being regarded as servants and stewards is a bit more difficult. 
the Corinthians would have felt this way to an even greater extent. They had a disdain for servanthood. These verses highlight an inherent paradox of Christianity. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. The beginning of chapter 4 and the end of chapter 3 are a paradox. They're a paradox that Paul is going to unravel for us as we continue to move forward in 1 Corinthians. It's a paradox that he is in the process of unraveling in these verses. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We will read verses 1 through 7. You can use your personal Bible or the verse that have been printed out in your bulletin. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefits, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The Corinthians want Paul to be something he is not. <laughs> they want him to be a spiritual super apostle. Now, their expectations of Paul are informed by their own cultural context. In the city of Corinth, there were spiritual teachers constantly coming through. They would come to the marketplace and they would teach and amaze everyone. These teachers, they had silver tongues through which they were able to fill their pockets with silver. Today, these teachers would have started a podcast, or they would have written a self-help book. The ability to influence the masses is a pathway to power and prestige. Normally, the message that gets broadcast is whatever will gain the largest following. 
Paul clarifies who he and Apollos are. They are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Listening to servants would not have sounded appealing to the Corinthians, though. If you were listening to a servant, that meant that you lacked status yourself. It meant you were inferior. A steward wasn't much better. A steward was just a servant that managed their master's house. The church in Corinth is filled with people that are focused on status. Perhaps more than any other major city in the Roman Empire, Corinth was the place to go to if you were ambitious. It would have been hard for the people receiving this letter that they were supposed to be listening to someone with the status of a steward. The Corinthians wanted Paul to be like one of those silver-tongued teachers who eloquently explained secret mysteries. Because it was their ambition to attain the special status that came with such knowledge for themselves. I am sympathetic to how the Corinthians felt. I have mentioned before that when I was a kid, I was super lame. Just super lame. And I have no doubt that my mom, she watches these sermons online. She would disagree with me. She's shaking her head. No, that was not the case. But I guarantee you, if you had taken a survey of my middle school peers, they would have agreed that I was lame. My accurate self-assessment motivated my faith journey. A significant part of my early Christian life as a middle and high schooler was motivated by a desire to cement some status for myself. When I got to seminary years later, which is where pastors go for grad school, it was not unusual to sense this same impulse in many of my fellow students. I, I wish I could say, you know what, that's all in the past. I wish I could say, I've moved on. I'm not worried about what people think about me anymore. This is something I still have to deal with. I have to ask myself every week as I prepare sermons, as I get up here to preach, what is my goal in doing so? Am I trying to be a steward of God's mystery? Am I trying to be a servant? Or am I trying to make others think I am special? The desire for authority, praise, and glory is a common driver for people. Many are drawn to churches and Christianity because it is a small pond where they can be a big fish. God is co-opted into a person's selfish ambition. Paul understands what the Corinthians want all too well. As a Pharisee, Paul pursued glory for himself through religious practice. He gained notoriety for his efforts. He was respected in his community. Everyone looked to him 
for leadership. Then Paul was confronted by the risen Jesus Christ. Paul was forced to see his selfish ambitions for what they were. They were a form of spiritual blindness. His religion wasn't actually about God and truth. It was a means for his own selfish advancement. Paul's message in these verses is building on a theme present throughout the Bible that Psalm 84 makes in a poetic fashion. Verse 10 of that psalm says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, a doorkeeper is not a particularly desirable position. Doorkeepers are not considered special. They are rarely even noticed. You are still better off being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. You are better off as a servant and steward of Christ than you are in any other situation. We can either be rulers of our own houses made of straw, or we can be stewards of God's eternal house. The Corinthians are very focused on status. Paul is trying to help them see the status they have in God. Acknowledging the Lordship of Christ is a core part of Christianity. Every Christian is a servant. Servants and stewards must be found faithful. This is the number one factor in any servant's annual review. Did the servant do what their master wanted them to do? If they did not, then they are not a very good servant. It doesn't matter if they think what the master requested of them is foolish. Servants are not primarily judged by their intelligence, aptitude, or any other factor. A servant is supposed to be an extension of their master. The most basic requirement of a servant is that they be found faithful. If they are not faithful, they cannot be trusted. If they cannot be trusted, they are not very useful. For Americans, the whole idea of servanthood rubs us the wrong way. Servants are something royalty has. We kicked the British out so we wouldn't have to be servants. The concept of servanthood is it's undemocratic. It is repulsive that one person should be expected to serve another person's wishes. The Corinthians would have agreed, like us, they rejected hierarchy in relationships. Although, actually, that's not really accurate. It's not true. Most people don't have an issue with hierarchy, so long as they are the ones on top. You rarely hear a CEO say, 
you know what guys this whole arrangement it's just really messed up we should have a, a flatter power structure those with power and status hold on to it tightly those that lack it aspire to it hierarchy implies that some people are more valuable than others the bible points out that all people are equally valuable as god's image bearers no person is simply a tool for another to use while we are not servants of other people we should be servants of christ he is the lord there is a hierarchy in the universe there is god jesus and the holy spirit way under them is humanity under us is the creation that god has given us to rule hierarchy is not a problem in itself problems arise when we get confused about who reports to whom one aspect of being a servant that is true for better or for worse is that a servant only has to worry about what their master thinks paul wants the corinthians to be really clear on how much their opinions of him matter their opinions of him are irrelevant he writes but with me it is a very small thing that i should be judged by you or any human court it's incredibly dismissive most people spend a lot of time worrying about what others think of them now i i know you guys i do i know you guys i know some of you are sitting here right now thinking i don't worry about what other people think of me and i just want you to know i don't believe you okay <laughs> everyone wants the world to look at them in a certain way even those that claim they do not care you know what i find about those people they're always making it really clear how much they do not care it's really important to them that everyone know that they do not care which implies that they care a lot that people know that they do not care <laughs> the other day as i was driving here the church has turned off the interstate and a small group of guys on harleys were behind me and apparently i was going too slow for them they were right on my tail but anyway separate issue there are three guys, you know, they're like leather and bandanas and tattoos and beers and helmets. And I thought to myself, those are three guys that care a lot what other people think of them. They have put a lot of effort into making it clear that they're big and tough and they're rebelling against society, unless it's Harley society, in which case they're embracing that aspect fully probably with a grizzled voice like I'm trying to do I think it takes them longer to get ready in the morning those leather pants I don't know <laughs> Christians no longer need to care what the world thinks not because we don't care what anybody thinks but because we care only what the Lord thinks he is the Lord Jesus is the Lord he judges us Paul says 
he can't even judge himself. He says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. We are not our own master. All we can do is be faithful to our best understanding of what Jesus, our master and judge, is asking of us. Our success or failure as a servant is not dependent on what other people think. Neither is the success or failure of other people dependent on what we think. We generally lack the necessary information to make judgments on how other people are going about their business. There are factors now hidden in darkness that will be brought to light. We should be wary of judging the actions of fellow Christians. We are not the Lord. A good approach is to leave the judging up to Jesus. He will let God know who needs to be commended. There are people that get celebrated in this world that will hear, depart from me, I never knew you on the final day. There are also people who go unnoticed in this world that will get celebrated for the action for their actions on the final day like the old woman that Jesus witnessed giving two small coins in the temple. The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and this is the this is the kind of terrifying part and will disclose the purposes of the heart. We can't see what's going on in other people's hearts. This makes it almost impossible to know if they are being faithful. The Lord knows our hearts. Christians' commendation from God will be based on His knowledge. In the preceding verses we looked at today, Paul is holding himself and Apollos up as examples for the benefit of the Corinthians. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor against one another. Paul is incredibly concerned about the Corinthians getting puffed up. Their lack of understanding of who they are in Christ is a problem. This is at least the third sermon in a row that I have talked about pride. It keeps coming up in 1 Corinthians. Paul's concern about pride is a result of an awareness of how destructive it is. Pride ruins lives. It goes before a fall. The effect of pride on individual lives is not Paul's main motivation for focusing on it here. His concern is how pride impacts the community. If pride is undealt with, the church cannot thrive. Pride poisons a church. Many Christians spend a lot of time worrying about the sins of the broader culture. 
about those sins coming through the doors of the church. Now, these sins that we spend so much time worrying about, they are certainly problematic. We would do well to worry a bit more about pride. It turns brothers and sisters in Christ against one another. Pride can never be satisfied. It always wants more credit, more acknowledgement. If you don't stroke a prideful person's ego, they act in destructive ways. If you stroke a prideful person's ego, that ego feeds off it and it grows. In addition to being problematic, spiritual pride is ridiculous. Paul asked a few rhetorical questions to drive this point home. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? These are questions we should all be asking ourselves. Spiritually, every Christian is a trust fund kid. Remember the final verse of chapter 3. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Our privilege is hard to fathom. There are not many things more annoying in life than running into that person that was born on third base and swears they hit a triple. If you are a Christian and you don't think of yourself as being privileged, it's time to reevaluate. We did not earn our status. It was gifted to us. Any positive aspect of our lives should cause us to fall down on our knees in praise of the God who made us and redeemed us Genuine praise is the antidote to pride. In acknowledging what God has done for us, our focus shifts from glorifying ourselves to glorifying God. Nobody can truly praise God and be prideful at the same time. We are all servants of the Lord who has chosen to bless us. We stop focusing on how awesome we think we are. We stop looking down on others. We are bound together as Christians by our appreciation of the blessings that have come to us through Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a true paradox. Jesus has given us all things, yet we are his servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. The greatest mystery of all is that in Christ we can fully experience God. The truth we serve is that God has given us all things. Nothing we have from God is earned. The more we understand about the Lord Jesus Christ and the privileged relationship we enjoy with him, the less we will focus on ourselves. We will let go of our pride. We will stop judging. 
we are who we are because of what we have been given. We are who we are because of who we serve. Jesus will determine if we use the privilege we have been given faithfully or not. We should rejoice in what has been done for us. None of it is of our own doing. The church must look to Jesus. He is the source. He is the master. He is the judge. He knows our hearts. He changes our hearts. We cannot boast in ourselves. We can boast in Christ alone. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that we would evaluate ourselves, Lord. That we would evaluate our desires for selfish glory, Lord. That we would evaluate the extent to which the way we live our lives is based on the way we think others are going to judge us, Lord. I pray that we would turn to you that we would seek your truth and justice and mercy, Lord, and that we would know that it is in those gifts that we find abundance of life and full freedom. We are your servants, but you have raised us up to the status of your children. And we thank you for that, and we pray that you, you would be with us, Lord, that we might live faithfully in your love. In Jesus' name I pray.